0: The Quintessential Podcast is proud to announce that we have a new presenting sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is a really cool watch company focused on ultra custom watches to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments. Watches whose styling and quality match the significance of the accomplishments they represent. Axia Time is also partnered with all the leading lacrosse organizations to create all American timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. Axia Time even creates timepieces for elite awards like the Tuareg and Naismith. If you're interested in a high-quality Swiss-made timepiece to commemorate a great accomplishment, you need to check out their designs at AxiaTime.com. That's A X I A If you're celebrating a team achievement like a state championship, national championship, or even world championship. You have to check out the timepieces they created for teams like Jesuit Dallas, the University of Maryland, and even the USA U21 World Championship. Welcome to the Quintessential Podcast presented by Axia Time as we head towards championship week. Quint Kesnick here, joined by Bob Shriver, longtime friend, uh, longtime head coach at Boys Latin, 36 years, retiring from coaching in 2015. He's been uh, announcing games. On espnu U and ESPN.com throughout this spring. Coach, uh great, great to see you, great to hear your voice. Good to be here. Hey, uh I, I want to start, I want to start off. You know, something hit me. You coached for 36 years. You won over 500 games, uh, six MIA titles, a bunch of national championships as well. And the number 36 is kind of close to Kevin Corgan. Kevin Corgan's been the head coach at Notre Dame for 35 years. And that. That amazed, He went there in 1988. I remember he was an assistant in Virginia. They beat us in the tournament, and then he was named head coach. When he went there, you know, they basically were becoming D1. Uh, and, and so, A, like the job he has done, taking that program out in the middle of nowhere back then uh, to being an, a perennial power every year. But what amazes me is the way he keeps coming back. Like he, he's never gotten that gold trophy. He's never won the championship. And how challenging that's got to be for a guy to be in that industry. Uh, yes, he's doing he's doing incredible work. They're winning league titles. They're they're in championship weekends. But like, how, how can you imagine having done your job for thirty six years and and not ever won an MIA title?
1: Uh, no I probably wouldn't have had the job for 36 years
0: <laughs> <laughs> how long okay that's a good question how long would you have lasted would you take over in like 79 or 78 or 80 I, I I coach I was assistant for four years I took
1: over in 1980 was my first year yeah
0: 80 so how long do you last at, at a place like boys latin without winning an MIA title
1: probably you know if you're lucky and you like the AD or he likes you and he thinks you're doing the right job. That's a great question. I don't know. You know, I, I just, I was very lucky to be at a good spot and, you know, we were competitive. So uh, I think that helped a lot. And and for Kevin, I would say it's probably very similar. You know, he started the program um, in, in many respects, if I'm, if I'm. Yeah if I understand nope. what you just said. He-
0: exactly. No, it went from club to varsity and then varsity to D1. And and remember when, when they made the championship weekend, I think back in 2001, they weren't even fully funded. Yeah, that uh, was because you sent. exactly. I want to talk about that because you sent the Ulrich Twins and Tommy Glatzel out there to play off a very good high school team you had. What was it at that time uh, that, that allowed those guys maybe to make that, that quantum leap and, and head out west? Well, I, I, one thing,
1: that Kevin has the benefit of. He's got a nationally recognized school. I don't, I don't think you could go anywhere in this country and not recognize the name Notre Dame. So that certainly didn't hurt. Then it's a great school. It was playing, they were just starting to evolve as a quality program. So I don't, you know, what's not to like, I, I think. You know, prior to that, um, Ned Webster had gone to Notre Dame. You know, Ned's from a big lacrosse family, obviously. You know, his older brother, John, was a great player at Carolina. His father was a Hall of Fame player at Boys Latin in high school and at Johns Hopkins. You know, so I think there was, I don't know, not precedent necessarily, but there was some reasons that Notre Dame became a nice kind of destination. You know, we had some other kids that followed the old Ned Webster, who coaches club lacrosse, by the way, at University of Cal Berkeley. Um, I, know, and-
0: I know that very well. You know who's playing uh, for a team coached by Ned Webster right now? Who? Skyler, my nephew, who, who graduated and is living in San Francisco, and he's playing on one of those club teams uh, that, that Ned coaches out there with a lot of Berkeley uh, and Stanford folks.
1: Oh, yeah. Wait, is, is Skyler going to grad school?
0: No, he just got a job in San Fran, and oh, he's you cool. know, retired from football after playing at Carlton, and, and now he's a goal-scoring attackman at six foot five, two 230 pounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, Championship weekend is Saturday on ESPN2. Uh, Games at noon and 2.30. We got uh, Penn State against Duke in the first game. Second game is Virginia and Notre Dame. That's one o'clock on ESPN2. Uh, I want to ask you, do you remember when they switched to the the championship format in the mid-80s? Yeah. because, Because we used to go but do you remember your first memory of going to, to, to a championship weekend?
1: I think my very first memory actually was in uh, the seventies went down. Uh, when did Mark Greenberg graduate from Hopkins?
0: I don't know. That was, I guess, part of what, 78, 79, 80 yeah, national I,
1: championships. I, I, I think my first memory was going to see Hopkins play Cornell at UVA. And I, Cornell won that year. Uh, I think Mark was playing. Uh I think that's right. Eamon McEnany was still playing, I think. Um, I may be wrong, but my first recollection, I was like, man, this is pretty cool. We drove down to Charlottesville, you know, and we were there kind of for I, I
0: guess that was maybe it was only a championship. Championship game. Yeah. No, the the, the final four format kicked in in eighty four, eighty five. I always forget. You know, uh when when they brought everybody to, I believe Delaware it was at the time
1: yeah that was Carolina was playing Virginia yes. yep. I, was, I was I was there that weekend for sure um, and you know I I'll probably I stopped going you know consistently uh probably around the mid2000, 2005, six. but prior to that, I think I had gone to almost like I think I missed one final four for for about a 20 year span or stretch.
0: Yeah, and you got your money's worth too. Uh, uh, I know uh, from uh, some post-game uh, lacrosse activities in the parking lot up at Rutgers in the early 2000s against uh, Michael Thomas, uh, Josh Mayhorn, and your son David at the time, who I think was still in high school. We we we, yeah, we played till we played till it got dark.
1: Yeah, and you were you were cross checking everybody into the cars that were still parked there.
0: <laughs> uh, that was that was a great day. That was a great day. Uh, but tell me about uh, tell me about some of the high school ball you've covered. The MIA championships were last weekend. They got nice crowds uh, at Navy and then at Loyola. McDonough wins the championship uh, over Calvert Hall, kind of in, in a game that wasn't that close. Uh, McCabe Millen uh, scoring the game winner in the semifinals. He'll head to University of Virginia. Do you see him uh, making impact at the attack position right away, or do you think like so many more that they'll they'll play him in midfield initially? i um, I think, you know, he's going to end up being a
1: midi initially because Schellenberger's coming back, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and they'll plug, you know, Schultz in an attack maybe, and then they'll find a lefty to fill the void somewhere along the line. McCabe's very skilled with both hands, so he could fill that role, but um, my guess is, you know, that that he might just be an offensive player to start, and, and that might be coming out of the box, but uh, I wouldn't doubt anything he could do. He's a very capable guy. He played hurt most of the year. He only played, I think, in seven games this year.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. He, he had an abbreviated season, uh, which could be beneficial down the road in terms of being fresh as opposed to being burnt out or, or put through the ringer. But he made it back into the lineup. Uh, is, it, was he clearly the best player in, in the, in the Mar- Baltimore area this year?
1: Well, I, I because of his sample size this year, you know, I don't think you could give him that distinction. I would say that his teammate, AJ Marsh, 6'4 defenseman who played up on the wings, uh, you know, he was phenomenal in the open open field. I would I think he's the player of the year this year in the MIAA. Uh, but if you go head down to DC and you watch Georgetown prep play, um his last name's Kabiri. I think his first name's Nate. Nate, yeah,
0: yeah, I've seen him. He's going a smart. To- he's a really smart player.
1: Oh, and he's got just skills, incredible stick skills. You know, yeah, his stick skills are reminiscent of watching Brendan O'Neill. Quite honestly,
0: yeah, I met him last summer at your event uh, at, at NHSLS. i I I remember interviewing him after one of those games. Uh, okay, so Marsh from McDonough is he going to Virginia also as a, as an LSM? He's going to the Naval Academy. Really? Wow. So Navy's continuing to pull in high-end talent.
1: Hey, you know, you asked about, um, you know, some of the games I did. I, I did Georgetown prep in a game that they beat Bullis in a regular season, 18 to 2. And then I did St. Anthony's Chaminade game up on the island. With, okay, look,
0: I want to ask you about that one. Uh, you know, th- th- there's a lot of D1 talent in that game. Who, who, who jumped off the page yet? Yeah. Well, Duffy, the kid going to Carolina, you know, he's like the two
1: or three. I think he might be two, number two, right behind McCabe Millen. You know, he's a tremendous talent. But in that game, they kind of, uh, St. Anthony's, you know, didn't want to, it wasn't that they didn't want to emphasize him. They, you know, the other team, Shamanov was kind of intent on trying to limit his touches. So the other guys at St. Anthony's uh, just, you know, kind of, picked up the torch. Duffy scored a couple. He scored one goal. Shaman I jumped into a zone and he dodged right past the guy in the zone and scored. And Shaman I never went back to the zone after that. So he eliminated the zone defense in about fifteen seconds.
0: Um, I, i've I've seen highlights of that of of him on Instagram that are super athletic, super creative, really aggressive uh, offensive style of play, but they've got. Those two teams,
1: uh, St. Anthony's had 28 Division One commits on their team. There's no way they're all playing. They got 28. And Chaminade had, I think, you know, we weren't sure whether it was like 20 or 21. So in that game, there was 45-plus Division One commits playing in that game. Um, wow. And, you know, uh, there was a couple kids going to Harvard. This kid Jackson Green's going to Harvard. He was he was a player of the game. He's a St. Anthony's mid. spectacular. Uh, they got a tackling going to Harvard. Shamanad's uh, first midfield or three kids are all over six one, six two. They're all going to the Naval Academy.
0: Wow! So so Navy Navy's going to get on the scene here any second with the, the way the recruiting's going see if they can figure it out. Uh, have, did you get to see, uh, I'm just going to throw out some teams that I saw in the rankings today at Inside Lacrosse, uh, Malvern, Brunswick, Lawrenceville, or Culver? I saw Lawrenceville and Culver, they both played boys Latin
1: actually at the beginning of the year, and in fact, Lawrenceville's only loss this year was actually two boys Latin. It was early in the year, uh, you know, both teams were sorting it out. BL had a little bit more, I think, experience at that point in time in the season. And then like two weeks later, they played Culver and Culver beat BL up pretty good. And I'm like, Jiminy Christmas, they look spectacular. I don't think BL played particularly well, but Culver had a lot to do with it. Uh Watch McDonough play, Um, have not seen uh Brunswick. I know they had a knockdown drag out game with uh, Lawrenceville the other night that they lost in overtime.
0: Do you have any concern coach with the, seems like the top teams are hoarding talent now in all these leagues, whether it's the MIA, whether it's up on long Island with Chaminade and St. Anthony's pulling from the publics and Nassau and Suffolk County, like my high school, we're really down right now and lose an occasional kid. When 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 those private schools can pluck from from the publics, I've seen it in the MIA, I've seen it on the island. It seems like the top teams are just superpowers now, the Brunswicks and and, and Lawrenceville's of the world, and I worry about that. Do you, do you have concerns uh, about the state of high school lacrosse?
1: Uh, kind of, you know, it, it's a stupid statement, but yes and no. The game has grown so much. I think. I think the number is over 3,500 high schools are now playing lacrosse in the country. Uh, And it's not growing by leaps and bounds, but it's growing very significantly. Uh, I think it was Minnesota this year just decided to recognize high school lacrosse as a state sport. Texas hadn't gotten there yet, yet they play quality high school lacrosse in Texas. Uh, And I don't know whether that's a battle. That they're fighting with football programs or, or not. But you know, and like, you know, the league that I'm most um uh familiar with, the MIAA, kids want to come into the MIAA because of the quality of lacrosse. And yet, do we drag some kids away from some of the uh public schools? Yes, but it has as much to do with those kids wanting to come in and play in a great league. Look, the MIAA. I would say is not as top heavy as people might perceive it. In the last twelve years, seven teams in the MIAA have won titles. I'd say that's pretty good balance, really. Uh, you know, and then you know because of you know everybody wants to seemingly wants to go to you know Virginia, Duke, or Carolina, and and a lot of the kids that qualify for those places there may not be room for them after their senior years in high school so they're told to go and play at a place like lawrenceville brunswick deerfield salisbury school in connecticut to get an extra pg year and so that you know that that has helped elevate a lot of those programs to the status they are at now you know um so i you know I get, I get that lacrosse is, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say elitist.
0: While well, you- it, it continues, to, it continues to evolve, and as I'm with you. I'm, I'm less concerned about it in places like Utah, North Carolina, Texas, and Florida. I'm a little more concerned about it in some of these hotbed areas, where 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 again, some of the mid tier programs are being fleeced by the powers that be.
1: Well, you know we see maybe not completely fair because it's a decision that parents make. Oh, parents.
0: I I know. And I, and and I I see it from, I see it both ways because I see it. My daughter, you know, Grace, she's, she's playing eighth grade. And I think, uh, you know, her school, they're, they're a middle tier program. They're, they're, they're going to lose a a girl usually every year to McDonough and, and it rips the guts out of the smaller programs. Uh, Uh, And and, and you go to McDonough and you're going to sit on the bench. You're going to play 60, Forty percent of the game to try to get a scholarship. I, I I don't know. I just I just think it. There's value in staying at the smaller school and playing midfield, playing defense, playing attack, playing on, you know, extra man, playing multiple sports. Like I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm so old school. It's it's ridiculous.
1: Well, they, you know, not many people have how many varsity letters you end up with? Sixteen or something in high school? No, no.
0: I don't know. I think it was what thirteen. I don't know but
1: uh, you know you play you play football soccer you play you wrestle and you play yeah. lacrosse you know that's uh you know the modern kid it seems like to me too many modern kids are just rolling in and saying listen I'm going to play soccer I'm going to play football I'm going to play uh lacrosse I'm going to play basketball and that's all I'm going to do and I think there's greater value in kids that are willing to play multiple sports Um, I think the three-sport athlete is really, really hard now because of overlapping seasons now. Um, Two-sport athlete, three-sport athlete, those guys are invaluable, if you ask me.
0: But when we come back, we're going to talk about championship weekend. Penn State against Duke, Virginia uh, against Notre Dame. But first, a message from our show sponsor, Axia Time. The Quintessential Podcast is proud to announce that we have a new presenting sponsor, Axia Time. Time is a really cool watch company focused on ultra-custom watches to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments. Watches whose styling and quality match the significance of the accomplishments they represent. Axiatime is also partnered with all the leading lacrosse organizations to create All-American timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. Time even creates timepieces for elite awards like the Tawaritan and Naismith. If you're interested in a high quality Swiss made timepiece to commemorate a great accomplishment, you need to check out their designs at Axiatime.com. That's AXIATime.com. If you're celebrating a team achievement like a state championship, national championship, or even world championship, you have to check out the timepieces they created for teams like Jesuit Dallas, the University of Maryland, and even the USA U21 world champions. Welcome back to the quintessential podcast presented by Axia Time. Coach Bob Shriver, our guest this week. I'm Quinn Kesnick, heading up to Philadelphia, be Thursday night or Friday morning to watch practices on Friday, coach. It's always interesting to watch these teams practice. You, you, you don't pick up much, but you get their general temperament. Uh, coach Kyle used to tell me to count how many drop passes each team had and then report back to him That that that, and how many times they missed the goal. Uh, you know from 10 yards and in he, he, he that was always his science but but you know I'm, I'm just looking for teams that stay in, stay in personality you know if if, if a coach is generally tight and I, w- I want to see him being generally tight if a coach is loose or I know elite you know his leadership style you just want to see consistency uh and 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 rarely have have we found uh you know major storylines on Friday occasionally there's some injury situations a new ride and you know, zone defense uh but but it's 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 fun i and i i get too much sun but i want to ask you uh last week were you at the georgetown virginia game or did you you just watch it no i was there actually you were there okay because so uh, your son your son david is an assistant coach uh, at georgetown and has been now for i think about five years uh you follow the hoyas closely you've seen most of their games in person this season uh what were your takeaways from from that quarterfinal game
1: well, the, the the takeaways first and foremost were, you know, back to injuries, you know, injuries played a factor in the game. Uh, James Riley, Georgetown's really, really gifted athletic face-off guy, had been playing on a bad hammy for about the last month. And that was clearly a factor when he's facing off against uh, that little spark plug or fire hydrant yeah. salad, yeah. you know. And then the other thing that jumps out at you is uh, not just the size of Virginia, you know, uh, the the Crease guy from Canada, McEl-
0: is it McIlvoy? The kid from Vermont, the, the- uh, McConvey, yeah, uh, Cormier, McConvey, are giant. Uh, My is Mies- so huge. So- so- There's so many of them,
1: you know, and 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 their length and their size it just jumps out at you. You know, if, if you or I are chasing a ground ball against one of those poles that's six, six, you know, if we're right next to them, we're still 10 feet behind them with a six foot pole and then their reach, you know, and, and the, the, the length just really jumps out at you. They get their sticks in passing lanes. You know, you don't think, you think this adjacent guys open and you're throwing the ball and all of a sudden, this velociraptor uh, sticking his stick out knocking the ball down and Schultz you know they're, they're just they're they're big and they're also very gifted they're so talented they move the ball beautifully and Georgetown was hanging
0: right with them Georgetown yeah 11 11 11 11 and then 11, and then Virginia started forcing some bad Georgetown shots it looked like their defense started to kind of pick up on what was going on Brian Minikas for Georgetown I thought was outstanding in that game he's been tremendous all year. Uh, uh, He, you know,
1: it's, it's kind of a miracle. How did a guy like that not get away from the so-called powers? You know, he had a wonderful four-year career at Colgate. So he graduated and got into a grad program at Georgetown. Um, And, you know, I think, um, you know, Virginia's just, I, I, you know, where are they weak? You know, I think, you know, I, I think I've heard people say the goaltender sometimes is a little up and down except when push comes to shove, he seems to make big saves when the uh, when it, when they need him. Um, I don't think they have a weakness. Um, and in fact, I think if Notre Dame has a weakness, it would be facing off. And uh, that's not a good thing to be poor at if you're going to play Virginia.
0: Yeah, Duke, Duke, Notre Dame, and Virginia combined against the rest of the country just have one loss. Duke's lost to Jacksonville. Virginia has beaten Notre Dame twice this season. The first time was uh, at Arlada Stadium when the football team showed up. Oh, yeah. And that was, game, that was the game. That was a game that Virginia used picks behind the goal. Chris Fake, Notre Dame defender, was struggling with the picks. Schellenberger was getting top side, and then they had to slide to him. They scored five crease goals, and they scored one rebound goal. So that was six goals from me to you. Uh, and and, and Entman really didn't have a fair shot. So the second, second time they met uh, at Klockner – Notre Dame's defense was better, but uh, Matt Nunes, Virginia goalie, I think he had 17, 18, or 19 saves in that game. And Sostad and Kastner limited the Kavanaugh brothers. And if you limit the Kavanaugh brothers, you got a shot to win that game. It's it's an interesting matchup for Notre Dame because you've got Pat and Chris Kavanaugh being guarded by these, as you said, these, these, these tremendously long two defenders. Uh, The Kavanaugh's dodge; they like to dodge to the body. I just think in this time when they play each other in the semis, they got to find a way to get those guys in space, whether dodging them from the top of the box, from the corners, from the wings. I just don't think going from X uh, is the answer.
1: Yeah. um, I don't know. They're unique characters, but then, you know, they got that monster Dobson who, if you give him some, uh, if you give him uh, just a teeny bit of space, he can bring the heat. Like you, you've seen play college lacrosse.
0: Uh, you, you mentioned Brian Minicus, uh, Colgate, transferred to Georgetown. He'll now play in, in, in the Pro League. Uh, I think he got picked up by the chaos, uh, picking up Minicus. And you asked how he slipped through the cracks, okay? Uh, I'm covering the Penn State game. T.J. Malone, you know, almost slipped through the cracks. He, he was headed to Amherst. Uh, John Nostrant was his high school coach. He's a guy that had some injuries his junior year, just blew up his senior year. And the comparison was the Pat Spencer comparison where he was five foot four, 150 pounds as high school sophomore. Well, now I got him listed at six foot, 180 or 90 pounds. Uh, We've seen this happen. Explain to the folks what happened with Pat Spencer and how he was so missed uh, by most.
1: Well, when Pat, you know, Pat had gone to St. Mary's High School as a ninth grader. He was struggling. Academically, he needed a much smaller atmosphere, get away from the girls. And Boys Laden got very fortunate that he came here, but he repeated the ninth grade to get the academic piece starting to roll. Dave Coddle, who coached him a little bit in the summer league, the one thing he consistently said is that the kid had wonderful skills, but he just hadn't gotten big enough yet. So you know, he just kept growing. And as he was growing, you know, finally, I uh, we, we kind of convinced Loyola that you know Charlie Toomey and Dave Metzbauer, I, I, you guys. This kid's a freak of nature. You know, he's he's incredibly gifted, and and I think you know during that those key years, like your junior year, or the summer between your sophomore and junior year, uh, that year became so big. But Loyola, to their credit, jumped on it, and I think also. To, to, I give Dave Metzbauer a lot of credit because that year in between Pat's junior and senior year, Dave got the job at North Carolina and he didn't go after Pat Spencer, which he really could have, I think.
0: Wow. Um, yeah. yeah and- but, the, but the amazing thing to me, coach, is, is people were watching your games closely because you had who, Spencer played with who like as a sophomore and a junior. Your attack was insane. Well, we had two
1: tournament winners on the attack: Logan was Wasnaskus and Pat Spencer. And then we had a, uh, you know, Shaq Stanwick and Colin Shell played w- with them for a year. And then when Pat, um, Pat was a uh, senior, Matt Brandell was on the attack with uh, Logan and Pat. I think that's accurate. Uh, that's, yeah, so,
0: so th- that's why I find it hard that that Pat fell through the cracks, because there were people there constantly evaluating Shaq Stanwyck from the time Pat was in 10th grade. Correct. Um,
1: and again, I, I and
0: every time I talk to you, I said, oh, how's Shaq doing? He goes, oh, we got this other guy who's pretty good. <laughs> you, you would always point to Spencer.
1: I, hey, I don't know. And, you know, the Spencer family, it's a very unique family. They're extremely loyal. Charlie and Dave Metzbauer, when they, you know, decided to commit to Pat, the Spencer family, you know, if if those phones were ringing off the hook, I have no idea if they were, uh, they would have said, Hey, you know, we've committed to loyal, and that's where we're going. And it worked out pretty good for both parties other than, you know, the only thing missing in his resume is a national championship. He won one in high school Uh, in 2014. We were actually, uh, you know, the consensus number one team in the country, forget national champions, you know, but we had a really good year.
0: I'm just wondering if would you ever
1: sense that Pat will come back to
0: lacrosse.
1: Um, I think he wants to give it one more go around this year. You know, he was one of the last guys cut by the warriors. And then he played in their G league team at in Santa Cruz. And he got hurt. Uh, In fact, he had surgery on his hip about a month and a half, two months ago. Uh, and I think he wants to give it one more crack. You know, he he's 27 now, but one of the reasons he clearly wants to give him another crack is the Warriors are, you know, I think their team is going to undergo a lot of change over the next year. So that may open up something for him.
0: Last uh, subject matter. I want to talk about Jeff Tambroni, Penn state head coach because your son, David uh, was an assistant uh, up in happy Valley for, for a number of years. And I know, I know you, uh, you watched a lot of their games. I know you were at their practices. I know, I know you, you uh, understand how coach Tambroni operates. Uh, you know, when he made that move from Cornell to Penn state, there were a lot of people who, who couldn't believe it, but here we are now, he's, he's making his fifth championship weekend appearance and, and second at Penn state. Uh, I remember when I coached uh, for you and Tambroni would recruit BL and he'd always ask us, you know, I know who you good players are. Who's your toughest player? Uh, and, 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 and our, our guy Rocco and, ended up playing up, up, up at Cornell for him. So I always thought that was his brilliance. You know, he didn't necessarily take the best guy on every team, but he took the toughest guy on on every team. What, 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 uh, what, 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 what impressed you most, uh, or what does impress you most about the way Jeff runs his program?
1: He's very, very tough. Um, He's and so one of the reasons he likes tough kids is because he knows that they can handle him. Um, he's tough, he's extremely fair. Um, but he's you know, you're coming out of playing lacrosse for Coach Tambroni, in my opinion. You're coming out a better person than when you went in. Uh, regardless, if you were a great person going in, you're coming out better at the end because you've survived his. You know his tough love that's how he coaches I think um and you know deep down inside he's as good a human being as you ever want your kid to play for and I think that that uh that that resonates you know and he came back to happy or he came to happy valley I think because of his wife's relationship in state college she played field hockey there and um
0: you know, yeah, his wife, Michelle, he's got three daughters. Uh, one's at uh, JMU. She's a really good field hockey player. The other is at Penn State, and and the other is uh, a sophomore now in high school, and she'll probably play college field hockey as well. It's, his wife, I, I believe, was, was an outstanding field hockey player. Yeah. One thing I've noticed about Jeff, like when I'm up there, wow, Penn State, they work. They, they work. Uh, but he's always the same guy, regardless of whether they went 3-11, and 11, or whether they went 12-3 and the prior year. Uh, He is very consistent in his temperament and and his approach. Super humble, yes, but really the same guy every time.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great
0: assessment. Uh,
1: He's, you know, he actually, uh, my my son and, and his wife, Brooke, were both coaching lacrosse at Penn State, and they shared an office, basically. The men and women share an office, and that's how David got to know Brooke, even though, she grew up a half a mile from boys Latin, but anyhow, and when they got married, they asked Jeff Tambroni to be the officiant at the wedding. And, you know, here's this guy who, uh, you know, if you've ever seen him conduct a uh, uh, postseason event, you know, he's, you know, everything's on time. It's 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 laid out really well. And at this wedding, he was nothing short of spectacular. He was incredible, which is how I always view him.
0: His Penn State team now making their second championship weekend appearance. They were here in 2019 as the number one seed when they lost in the semis to Yale. This group, they're underdogs to Duke, but uh, there's something that tells me not to not to count this group out. Uh, no pressure. They're really good defensive midfielders. I love their goaltender. I just think they're stubborn and, and they're going to play. They're going to give Duke everything they can handle. That's on Saturday. Uh, women's semis are Friday. I don't want to forget to mention this Friday semis at three and five thirty on ESPNU from Carrie, North Carolina, the finals, once again, the women's national championship D one game on ESPN Sunday at noon. Uh, I watched a bit of those games last weekend. Coach Denver's defense was amazing. And, and Izzy skein, of Northwestern may have been as dominant a female lacrosse player that I have ever seen. So uh, I'll be tuning in. I know I can watch on Sunday and probably catch the second semifinal
1: uh, on Friday night. Just as a point, I watched the entire North Carolina Denver game, and it was a five to four game, and it was an excellent game to watch.
0: Denver's defense was 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 sick in that game. That, that was amazing. They're double teams. They're triple teams.
1: You know, they play this backer zone and it seems like every time somebody was trying to throw the ball through the defense, you know, somebody's picking a pass off. Uh, but Izzy Scane's a whole nother, uh, <laughs> and the, the other girl, uh, I think I'll mispronounce it, Fikendale or Crockendale, or I apologize, but they're, the two of them, they're a two-headed monster. I watched Izzy Skane play in the U.S. Under-19 team a couple of years ago up in Peterborough, Ontario, because David's wife, Brooke, was an assistant coach. She played for Kelly Amante hiller at Northwestern, and she was at Kelly Amante hiller was a head coach. I watched Izzy's game. She just dominated that tournament like there was nobody's business.
0: Well, enjoy championship weekend, Coach Shriver. Uh, it's not going to be uh, – you're not going to have uh, like the one year when you had the two guys in overtime. What is it, John Glatzel shaking hands with uh, – Ryan Mollett. With Ryan Mollett, both captains of, of Princeton and Syracuse before the 2000, was that one or two overtime period? Yeah, yeah, something
1: special. But uh, that's okay. You know, we're lacrosse fans at the end of the day. And um, um, two great games, it looks like. The women's game, um, yeah. the two women's, three of the four top women's team, Denver was ranked five, or in the championships you know, and three of the top five are in the men's game.
0: Yep. Looks like we got good weather. Hopefully the fans will show up. Uh, all the action, if you're uh, running around or at the beach, you can find on your phone, on, on the app, on ESPN Plus. So, Coach, have a great weekend. Text me, text me, some, text me some important stuff uh, as, as these games are shaking down. You, you, you know, I'll use it. I always use your material. Some, some, of, some of my most famous lines are actually yours. Well, I don't know about that. I stole it from somebody, I'm sure. <laughs> Have a great one. well, weekend. thanks, Coach.
1: All right, see you later.
0: See ya. That's it for this week's episode of the Quintessential Podcast. Thank you to our guests. Thanks to our technical director, Dr. Nick Z. I want to thank you for listening. And of course, thanks to our sponsor, Axia Time. A watch, what a better gift than a ring. I've got a championship ring. It's collecting dust in a box. I wear watches all the time. Thank you, Axia Time. It's axiatime.com, and we'll see you next week.